There were two criminal law decisions this week, one by the Arkansas Supreme Court and one by the Arkansas Court of Appeals. In Turnbow versus State, 2021 ARC 166, the Arkansas Supreme Court affirmed a rape conviction and rejected challenges to jury strikes and evidentiary exclusions. Justice Wood explained, Clarence Turnbow was convicted of rape after a jury trial. The victim, 13 years old, met him online and later went to his place of business where they had sexual intercourse. DNA evidence corroborated this. Turnbow does not challenge the sufficiency of the evidence, but he raises three issues on appeal. First, he argues the circuit court should have rejected the state's race-neutral justification for striking an African-American from the jury pool. Second, he claims the court should have admitted evidence about the victim's prior allegations of sexual assault. Last, he contends he had a right to access the victim's psychiatric records from a private behavioral hospital. Regarding appellant's Batson challenge, the state struck three potential jurors during selection, which were the only African-American members. Defendant argued these were racially motivated strikes, and the state responded with its reasons, which the trial court accepted. On appeal, defendant claimed the asserted reasons for the peremptory challenges were protectual. Quote from the court, Under Batson v. Kentucky, the state cannot use peremptory challenges to strike jurors based on race. 476 U.S. 79, 1986. Arkansas has adopted a three-step process to address a Batson challenge. The party challenging the strikes, here the defense, has the burden to prove purposeful discrimination. Given that burden, the defense must first make a prima facie case of purposeful discrimination. Next, once that initial showing has been made, the state must give a race-neutral reason for the strike. This reason must be more than a simple denial of intent to discriminate but the reason need not be persuasive or even plausible and may even be silly or superstitious. The state has no further obligation, however, to produce testimony or introduce evidence. Instead, the burden of proof always stays with the party challenging the strikes. Last, the circuit court will decide whether the defense proved purposeful discrimination. We largely defer to the circuit court's ruling on this point because whether the state gave a race-neutral reason should be measured by evaluating the prosecutor's demeanor and credibility, which the circuit court is in a much better position to do than we are. Turnbow challenges the state's race-neutral reason to strike Juror Bell. The state explained it struck Juror Bell because she did not engage during questioning and she did not disclose her physical impairment when the state asked the panel about impairments. Turnbow's argument appears to be that because the court rejected the state's reason for striking juror LeBron Austin being non-responsive, then the court had to seat juror Bell, too. But Turnbow glosses over the fact that the state proffered another race-neutral reason for the strike of juror Bell, her failure to disclose a physical impairment that would prevent her from serving on the jury. This explanation is race-neutral on its face. End of quote. Defendant next argued the trial court erred in excluding previous sexual assault claims. The appellate court ruled there was no abuse of discretion below. Quote, During a pretrial hearing, Turnbow asked permission to impeach the victim at trial about other false allegations of sexual assault. 
Turnbow contended that the victim's mother told a social worker that the victim had made a prior allegation against a third party, but later recanted that allegation. Turnbow wanted to question both at trial and possibly call the social worker as to prior statements given by the mother about the victim's recantations. Turnbow claimed this would not fall under the rape shield rule because he only wanted the victim to admit that the prior allegations had been untrue, not to probe her sexual history. Yet at the pretrial hearing, the victim and her mother both denied that the victim had ever recanted the prior allegations. The circuit court ruled any inquiry on this matter violated the rape shield law and was inadmissible. End of quote. In examining this issue, the opinion noted Arkansas Rule of Evidence 411B that evidence of a victim's prior allegations of sexual conduct with the defendant or any other person, which allegations the victim asserts to be true, is not admissible by the defendant to attack the credibility of the victim. There is an exception to the rule, however, that may allow the court to allow the evidence if relevant and if its probative value is not outweighed by its inflammatory or prejudicial nature. 411C2C In this case, the appellate court found the probative value was slight, so there was no abuse of discretion in excluding the evidence reasoning. The victim and her mother denied the recantation in their testimony at the pretrial hearing. Any contrary testimony by the social worker would be probative only to impeach the mother's credibility, not the victim's. As the mother was not a witness to the sexual assault, her credibility on the factual allegation had little probative value compared with the prejudicial effect of rape shield evidence. End of quote. The court's opinion cited precedent disfavoring such evidence because of the risk of making a mini-trial necessary regarding other events. Finally, the Court of Appeals affirmed exclusion of the victim's psychiatric records. The records were reviewed in camera by the trial court. They were inadvertently apparently included in the record on appeal, so counsel had access, however. The Court of Appeals ruled, quote, Turnbow argued the victim's private records would contain exculpatory evidence or evidence to impeach her credibility. Both the victim and the private hospital objected to disclosing the records, but the circuit court ordered the hospital to submit the records for in-camera review. After reviewing the records, the court found the records contained no exculpatory information and did not provide them to Turnbow. After reviewing the records and preparing for appeal, Turnbow's counsel maintains the records contain exculpatory evidence in the form of recanted allegations of assault. Turnbow argues these records should have been turned over for use during trial. We review the interpretation of a rule of evidence de novo. We recently addressed access to the victim's private behavioral records held by a private third party in Vaughn v. State, 2020, ARC 313. We noted Rule of Evidence 503B establishes a psychotherapist-patient privilege. This privilege encourages transparent and open communication between patients and their therapists. State statutes place this privilege on par with attorney-client privilege. Indeed, patients' private records of this nature, created within the relationship of their private provider, are not even subject to in-camera review because the privilege is absolute. Following our holding in Vaughn, we reiterate that Turbo had no right to the victim's private psychiatric records. The records are privileged. End quote. A concurrence written by Justice Wynn agreed that the Vaughn decision required the appellate court to affirm but noted his dissent in that case. 
A second concurring opinion by Justice Webb added, quote, I agree that Clarence Turnbow's rape conviction must be affirmed. I write separately, separately to address the majority's disposition of his third point on appeal regarding the victim's counseling records. Turnbow argues that the circuit court erred in finding that the victim's counseling records did not contain exculpatory evidence. I would affirm on this point because the circuit court's in-camera review of the records afforded Turnbow all the due process to which he was entitled. Pennsylvania v. Ritchie, 480 U.S. 39, 1987, does not require or even allow Turnbow to conduct his own review of the records and challenge the circuit court's conclusions. As with any evidentiary ruling, the circuit court's decision to exclude the evidence that Turnbow was seeking is reviewed under the abuse of discretion standard. An abuse of discretion does not simply require error in the circuit court's decision, but also requires that the circuit court acted improvidently, thoughtlessly, or without due consideration in making that error. On the record before us, there is no basis to conclude that the circuit court abused its discretion with its ruling. The fact that Turnbow's appellate counsel was able to review the victim's medical records, while unfortunate, should not be the ratio decidendi for disposing of this argument on appeal. The circuit court did not order disclosure, and appellate counsel is duty-bound to make the best argument he or she can with the record provided. Blame for including the victim's counseling records in the transcript lies elsewhere. End of quote. End of decision. The Arkansas Court of Appeals in Nichols v. State, 2021, ARC App 368, in affirming a revocation order, rejected arguments that denial of a closing argument in the revocation proceeding required reversal. First, the issue was not preserved for appellate review, and second, a revocation proceeding is not treated the same as a principal case where there is a right to make closing argument. Just Judge Hickson explained as to the failure to preserve the issue for appellate review. Here, the appellant's counsel was present during the entire proceedings. However, Counsel did not object or assert on appellant's behalf that he desired to make a closing argument before the circuit court revoked appellant's probation. End of quote. There is a right to make a closing argument in a criminal prosecution, but revocation proceedings are different. Quote from the court. Our Supreme Court has also recognized that the right to make a closing argument does not require that oral argument be permitted at any stage of a trial except at this conclusion of the evidence, just before the case is submitted for judgment. With this in mind, the state points out that appellate has failed to cite any case in which the constitutional right to make a closing argument has been extended to a probation revocation hearing, and we have none. However, we need not reach the answer to this question in light of the record before us. End of quote. A second appellate argument was whether defendant was entitled to present evidence or make argument before sentencing, but it was not preserved for appellate review. Quote, Here, appellant's counsel was physically present during the entire proceedings. Instead, appellant's argument is that the circuit court should have given him the opportunity to present arguments and sentencing evidence. As the state correctly argues, even if Section 1697.102 is applicable to revocation proceedings, even though revocation proceedings are not a stage of a criminal prosecution, Appellant did not timely request to present any evidence relevant to sentencing or proffer any relevant evidence. We agree. End of quote. End of decision.